You're listening to Banter with Buck. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome. My name is Ben Langsfeld. I'm an executive creative director here at Buck, and I'd like to welcome a very special guest tonight, Jad Abumrad, a producer, the creator, the host of the popular syndicated radio program, Radio Lab. Among other shows and podcasts, Jad tells stories, true stories that help people find beauty in a chaotic world. Thanks for joining us, Jad. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I just wanted to start by taking it way back. You know, you're, you're a storyteller, so are we at our core in every sense. Uh, what, what did you first, when did you first realize and what was it that like really made you know that this is what you wanted to do, tell stories for a living? Well, uh, for me, actually, it started... Uh... I didn't, I sort of fell into it ass backwards, to be honest. Like I, uh, I started, uh, and I sort of nod to your modular setup right behind you. I sort of started as a musician, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and, uh, I was studying music in school. So I actually, like, if I pretty much from, from the age of five up until three or four years out of college, the idea I had held for myself in my mind was to be like a film composer. Mm -hmm. Cause I always was like completely mystified and delighted by film music. Just the way that like you'd be watching these people on a screen and then the music comes in and suddenly those little people feel like epic the way mm -hmm. the music does that. Totally. Um, and, uh, and so I wanted to make the music that did that and I got out of school. So I went to, went to Oberlin to study music, got out, started trying to do that as a living. So I was writing music for various features and student dance performances. And it turns out that's really fucking hard. Mm -hmm. Like just, I mean, at that point I was not good enough to where I could actually do it well. And, you know, a couple of years out, I just like, I kind of hit a wall and uh, you know, I'd had like three or four experiences where someone had asked me to write music and, and I would write the music that I thought was beautiful and then they hated it. And then I would try and write the next thing to solve whatever problem they presented me with. And I just couldn't do it. Right. I just couldn't like get past that first idea. Um, whatever that like creative resiliency that people have when they get older, uh, I didn't have it. You didn't have it so um, I basically like at, at one point was just like, what am I going to do with my life? And, um, and my then girlfriend, now wife, Carla, who you know well, yeah. uh, she and I were talking one day and she was just like, well, you, you, you like music. You kind of like to write. Why don't you go do radio? That's kind of like the thing, the place where those two things meet. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started volunteering at a community radio station and like within the first week got super hooked on just the process of telling stories doing an Just interview like the possibilities of like mixing yeah. the two like were, were, you, were was mixing the two always in the cards or was it just the things you knew and the things you love so you wanted to bring them together it was uh it, initially it was even just like more subterranean than that you mm -hmm. know it's like i remember the first day that i that i was at a community station and i got there this is at wbai which is not too far from us now it's sort of like over <laughs> that way over that way just literally right over the river and uh and like they were in a state of complete dysfunction so like i walked in and they they like i think three or four people had just quit and so they needed volunteers so like they literally handed me a kit which is like a set recorder and a mic 
and sent me out into the world to, to cover some protest. I had never interviewed a person in my life. You know, I, I didn't even know what journalism really was. Like, I mean, of course, you, you see it, you right. hear it, but I didn't know how to do it. You don't know how to get there. Yeah, you don't yeah know how to I don't know how to, to get there. And I remember, like, interviewing somebody, asked them a question, and they answered it, and then I recorded it, and then I ran back, and I put all that sound onto a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And then later, fast-forwarding in my mind, like, I was, you put it onto the computer. And there's some, like, there's something deeply magical about you've got these little these voices and they exist as blocks on a computer and then you just kind of shove them around and you're like oh okay the purple block and the yellow block put them near each other oh they don't like that so let me flip them and put the per the, the yellow before the purple oh hmm. they like that like you can just hear like when they when they like it when the when they like where they are and there's just something really just insanely appealing about that i imagine so, it's the same thing for you guys like when you're designing there's something about like the meditative brain space you get into mm -hmm. that for me was just like working with sound on the computer and yeah. before it sounds like the story it sounds yeah like it was very much it feels still to me now like like that was one of the real revelations for me was that journalism is kind of like composing at least in the way that i do it right you know yeah, you're composing totally. voices. You're composing the relationship of ideas. You know, you're sequencing. You're you have a you have an arc. You're you're really trying to build that 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 chemistry and the your connection to that those two characters, so to speak. And then totally the story evolves. And then you know, that really speaks to you know a, a question around um, that someone gave me. You talked about this this idea of the third, and mm. you know diving right into it, not even beating around it. Um, but I, we love this, you know, this is a Serbi Rathi, one of our strategists. She loves the notion of creating the third and you talk mm -hmm. about it in your TED talk, you know, and as storytellers, what advice do you have for us around creating that third? You know, like we're, we're, we're trying to obviously always, you know, embark on a narrative arc, but, you know, I think that there's like, um, there's definitely a, something else you're trying to get out of it. Something, something different, something yeah. additive. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, uh, in all honesty, I'm still figuring out how to talk about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like the Ted talk that you refer to just to catch people up who haven't seen it, it's what I was talking about in that was sort of the grand evolution of my work has been, you know, I used to do these stories at the very beginning, which were about mm -hmm. wonder and about like just leading people to these moments of, oh, you know, and then you bring in the music and that, that was the, that was the move. And then as I evolved, I got less and less satisfied with just doing that. And I wanted to like explore these moments where different truths collide, you know, like where you have two people with different realities, different politics, different lived yep. experiences and you, and they somehow are at odds, but both of them feel true. That feels to me like the, the quintessential work that journalists have to do these days, which is to, to mesh realities that don't seem to want to mesh, right? Totally. So I was talking about like, what do you do as a journalist when you commit yourself to that work? Um, and very often what we do in our world uh, is we just, we document, we, we see our jobs as like witnesses. And I don't think that's really good enough anymore, right? 
I do feel like we as journalists have to create a, a new space. So, and, and I likened it to this idea of the third, which is a sort of an idea that's sort of extracted from psychotherapy. Yeah. Um, which is basically that, um, you know, the, the typical idea of human relationships is that you say a thing to me and then I say a thing back to you and you take it in and you think, and then you say a thing back to me. And it's very transactional. It's like, we're mm -hmm. like exchanging current, the currency of our thoughts. Um, but this idea, and this was pioneered by a woman named Jessica Benjamin, I believe she had this idea that actually that's not really how it works. Like when two people come together and they really sort of like focus in on each other, they commit to each other. They actually end up creating something together, which is separate from either of them, which is kind of like their relationship. And, and I loved like the moment I read that, I just like it, it like I had light bulbs cause I was like, Oh, like there, how many people do we know? who are in these relationships that make zero sense from the outside, but they've got some kind of chemistry because it, 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 it was a way to explain all of those relationships around you and, and the ways in which no one can understand a relationship that you are in, whether it's a friendship or a romantic one. And I think like truly creative spaces can be like that too, right? You're taking these things which feel like they could be like just bipolarities and you're like making something that, takes them forward in some way into a, a new space. And I'm still figuring out what that means practically, what that means in terms of craft. But I think what it means to me is when you confront these ideas where you feel somehow that the world gets flat and you're like, you're being pinched between two conventions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, politics is like this, right? Totally. There is some act of creation that can happen. Like if you really hold the, re the separate realities and you try and really look at them, somehow th the, you will in that, in that act of looking, see something or make something that will be a new thing. You know, like those things can resolve into a newness of some kind. It doesn't mean common ground. It's not what I'm talking about because the differences still hold, you know, you're not like resolving difference. You just, creating a new place for them to be in some way. So I don't know. It's like, I get really abstract when I talk about this, but. I, I like it. You know, we, we talk about collaboration a lot here. You know, we are hyper collaborative here at Buck mm -hmm. and something about that really resonates because we, we, we have all these different talents with all these different curiosities. And, you know, we've got creative coders and we've got illustrators and designers and animators and they all come together. And we don't create like, a conversation between two people you create this third thing you, like yeah real collaboration creates something unique and something new and something different so right. when i first heard that from you i was like oh I, I really get that but when you think about it from a storytelling perspective where i get a little like amazed by it is like how do you know like how do you know you're finding that yeah. how does it present itself and how do i like wh when is that aha moment where you're like oh that's it there it is yeah that's the pivot point yeah, you know, that is a really good question. And, you know, just to just to nod to the first thing you said, Ben, um, I personally take a lot of inspiration from the visual arts. So what you guys do, right? Because mm -hmm. I actually think you are playing in that zone way more often than we are as journalists. Like, I think you guys, by definition, are like walking into a thing and creating something new every single time you do it. Mm -hmm. um, but here, here's... I think that the second part of your question is really important. And here's the only way I know how to answer it. Um, 
you know when you are in an edit like a creative meeting of some kind and like mm -hmm. there's a there's a thing you're all looking at right and it's not quite there the tendency uh on the part of a lot of creative people editors leaders is to like say okay well that red's not red enough so make it redder or this composition is wrong so rebalance it whatever it is and to give to go right to solutions right um and sometimes that works you can shortcut it if you don't have a lot of time what i think is more interesting in terms of what we're talking about is if you force your collaborators to not talk solutions but to talk sensations right mm -hmm. so it's like okay we're looking at this thing we can all agree that there's some stuff that's good, but it's not really working. So like you look at this, how does it make you feel? Like where, where, like literally where in your body do you feel the thing, you know? Is it here? Or is, is it, it here? Like, is it here? It's like, right. it, and, and like when you're talking about audio, which is such a visceral, visceral thing, I, I'll make my staff do this. They, they freaking hate it, but it, <laughs> I think it's super, it's super useful. So you're like, okay, when you hear, when you're, when you hear this tape, like what happens to your weight? Does your weight go up? Does it go down? Do you lean back? Mm. Do you lean forward? Uh, tell me where you feel your temperature rise, where you feel your temperature cool, right? Like, don't tell me what you think I should do. Tell me where you're feeling certain sensations at what point. And let's just, let's just map it, right? And so then what you end up, what you end up with is this like heat map, right? You're like, oh, like five or six of the people on staff are feeling hot here, cool here, lean forward here, lean back here. And you begin to create almost like an emotional topography of the project, mm -hmm. but you, you delay the solution as long as possible. Um, I mean, you're trying stuff, right? Right, right, you're iterating, but, you're noodling. Because but... what, what I find always happens is that the, the solution that you think will solve it is actually only two levels deep and the problem might be six levels, right? And so you don't really, you don't shortcut it. Uh, and so you, you, you just live in the sensations and, it is, and, then it assert, and then you give it back to the creative person. You're like, okay, make something, try something with this. Mm -hmm. And they'll try it. And they'll keep trying it from different angles. And I always find that like the third thing, that thing that you're looking for is never easily apparent. It's like the third or the fourth or the fifth iteration down. Um, like today I was giving somebody notes on, uh, on a film they're making and I had seen the first three drafts and I, gave, and I gave her some very specific feedback. I was like, cut that scene, do that. And then I saw the, the draft and I realized that she didn't take any of my advice and I'm glad she didn't because like the film was working so much better and she didn't actually cut that scene, she doubled it, right? Mm. She like made it twice as long. And then I realized, oh, I think what I was feeling was referred pain from the lack of explanation at the top. And right. I needed more information to, to confer thrust to the middle. But I didn't know that's what I needed. I was just feeling a thing. Do you know what I mean? Right, and like you're going from meeting to meeting and you're like, see something, you're like, just cut that, you know? And you're trying yeah, to totally. be helpful, but at the same time, it's... Totally, so that's my only way to find the third is like to, 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 to realize that um, you can never shortcut the process and to not try to shortcut it, but to just to live in the actual sensations and the impact of the work. And then trust that a person can like stumble on. I, I don't know. I'm I'm yeah, yeah. I'm just using words, but you you know what I mean, right? Totally. I, I totally know what you mean. I guess another 
question around that is just when you were talking was so interesting about like time like how how long does it take to make an episode or an idea or a thought i know it's like you probably have 17 going at once and you're constantly moving in and out of them but yeah you know and like there's like the discovery process there's the storytelling process then there's like the edit and sort of composing process like what what does that take to do yeah i mean it's it ranges i mean there's some i'd say like i mean there's some stories that have taken us two years from start to finish mm. you know um you know like when you're doing a story where you don't know what is going to happen I'd say I'd say 50% of the stories are like present tense stories where you're following something as as it's unfolding. Mm -hmm. And then the other 50% are stories that have already happened that you're reconstructing. Those stories are easier because you know the end, you know. Right. The 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 present day stories are can be really hard and you don't know when to stop. Um so sometimes it's 2 years, sometimes it's 3 months. Every story I feel like it's really hard to pattern it and to know which story you've got when you've got it. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, I mean, I'd say finding the idea has become the easy part. You know, every idea that you find is usually only half an idea. Like you've got a clip or you've got a, a conversation or you've got like a, a nugget of something. But you know it's only like half the thing or even a quarter of the thing. And then you spend a month or two making call after call after call after call and talking to editors and there is a point after that process where you feel like, oh, I've got something. And then you start to think, okay, so let's, let's think about what it is. And then we, we do a storyboard at that point, mm -hmm. um, which is very much, again, inspired by the visual arts, like just storyboarding out the experience. And yeah. it, that's a very visual process of just like chapter one, chapter two, and like this is the movie part and this is the ex explanation part. Here's where the music should come in. We start to have those conversations. And then, um, and then you just like, if it's me, I just take it and I start building. And, you know, my process is to build and compose music at the exact same moment. But if it's other folks on the team, they, they will build a draft, the draft will get edited. Uh, we have two, two or three guys on, uh, actually now more than that, a lot of the producers are writing music, so they will write their own mm -hmm. stuff or they'll write music for other stories. So that's happening in parallel. And then a lot gets done in the last two to three weeks, just like, you know, full, like full 14 hour days to get the story done. Um, so it's like very, very iterative and slow and methodical. And then it's just like full speed ahead the last two weeks. And then you're just describing one, which is then you have to constantly be cycling those. No? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's like a constant. I mean, that's one of the difficulties of, being a weekly show is that it's just there's no break you know it just, it just it is like a hamster wheel but we have you know we have enough people on staff now that people are like cycling on and cycling off at different times it's still not perfect but that's hopefully we're getting to some place where people can actually have lives too totally um you know the, the stories you tell are like extremely vivid and, and visual was like when did that start to just become just part of the DNA. Like I, I know that there was some experimentation up front, but like there's something so visual about everything that you guys describe and the way you talk about it. And is it like, have you ever kind of tried to, I don't know, 
serialize that, just make it something that you know, like, are there ingredients to it? You talked about mapping in those arcs. Like, is it, is it, does it become formulaic at a certain point or is it, is it more just like that, that building process where you're just trying to build and build and kind of immerse people into these experiences? Yeah. I mean, at, at its, at its best, it's not formulaic, although the formulas sometimes come into play when you just run out of time and you just have to like throw something up. But the, the visual aspect of it is, um, is like key yeah. to me, you know? I mean, I feel like the beginning of an emerge, like when we talk about cinematic stuff, like that's a word we always use. You're like, oh, it's not immersive enough or it's not cinematic enough. Like you hear that said a lot in edits. Mm -hmm. um, really what we're talking about is the eye, you know, right. like, so you much see, of the time. Exactly. What are you seeing? And, and at some point somebody said radio is the most visual medium. Um, Turns out that's not really true. TV is pretty visual, <laughs> but uh, get it though. I mean, it's it's like visual yeah. in the way that you that your mind's eye wants it to be, in the way like books totally. are visual because it does leave you that room. But I feel like you don't. You almost like you leave room, but you paint a very very clear picture, and that's like what's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, that that is a. I'm told that's a hallmark of our style, and I think that is. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's like, I have a really, I have a very like, it's funny. I often think that the, that the storytelling style is deeply visual to compensate for my lack of imagination. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I regularly lie asleep uh, at night and I try to imagine images and I don't, it doesn't work uh, unless I'm super high. Uh, I will, I will, I will not see those pictures. I'm, I hope that's okay to say. It's totally it's, a, it's it's legal, right? It's, it's totally fine legal to say. Now. Yeah, yeah it's totally legal. Um, so I I want that from the stories. Like I I need the stories to really really like aggressively engage my visual mind. Um, I think it's a matter of strategy, but it's also personal to me. Like I just I I need to be able to see it. That's where I get that warm body feeling when you're in, in the middle of a story and you can kind of suddenly see it in all dimensions. Mm -hmm. And that's as much about the sounds you choose as it is about the words you use, uh, as it is about the way you construct scenes. Um, all of that stuff for me, like, I, I mean, it is actually truthfully one of the things I love about working in a medium without pictures is that you, you're working so super hard to put those pictures that don't, exist that are a deficit in your medium into somebody else's head mm -hmm. and they have to do it right like you can't do it for them so i love the idea that of making you, you're doing half the act in some way right but it's like you're painting a picture together and you're actually handing the, the paintbrush to the other person and they're finishing the picture mm -hmm. and i feel like that's what makes it a very empathetic very warm experience because you're actually engaged in a in a conversation in a mutual creative act in some way um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the basic craft of it, I'm always saying like use very visual language. Like how many, how few words can you use to create the most amount of pictures? You know, that's always the sort of the, the, the equation when we're, when we're telling stories. We, you know, we do that on the visual side all the time. You know, we're, we're a lot of times we're working without audio or we're working without words. We're working through like sound and, and mood and then visual. So we often feel hamstrung on the other side and it's just about being clear and concise and, you know, using strategic cuts to sort of show action and response. So you, you usually, you can feel 
uh, emotions. You can feel kind of words and stories through through creative editing in a way that it does, you know, it forces the the viewer to to finish it, to finish the sentences. So I really resonate totally. with Totally, totally. Let's play some favorites. Um, do you have one? Do you have a favorite episode? Uh, or I yeah, I mean, no, that's a that's a that's a good question. I, I, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you're this way, but I, the moment that a project is over, I sort of like it, like washes from my memory. It's um, yeah, it's some sort of like protective instinct where like you forget the pain of creative <laughs> childbirth. That's probably not a good phrase to say, but you know what I mean? It's like you, you suffer so much to make these things and then somehow your brain just like forgets. And I think it needs to in order to make the next thing. So I don't, I have trouble remembering them. Um, there are a couple that I really like. Um, you know, there are moments in the Dolly Parton's America series that, that we just did. I just did with a uh, producer, Shimo mm -hmm. uh, We There are moments in that which I feel really connected to. You know? Feels, that one felt pretty personal. Yeah, it was pretty personal and like exploring my own um, Lebanese roots through like, you know, I grew up in Tennessee and like that felt like this attempt to understand the connection of the Middle East to Tennessee, these two things I'd always held to be very separate. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt like a, a slightly new form of story. And that felt exciting. Um, but on the Radio Lab side, you know, I loved there are things like we did that we did a whole episode about words mm -hmm. um and like you know having kids that are that are our kids age um it's like it's really cool to think about the acquisition of language and what happens in their minds when they get a new word and that episode was all about that so i think about that episode a lot just like being a dad you right. know so that one is cool uh there are definitely episodes like um yeah, I mean, there's like, there's like a, the Galapagos episode. Like, I really mm -hmm. liked it because we did some cool sound design that no one would ever notice but us, you know. <laughs> so there's like, I have like moments of of episodes, but then I I I forget them so quickly. Totally, know? I'm the same way. Like, and or I don't love them, you know. Like, you, they you you start to see the the flaws or just like the things that never yeah. got done and. Like it just seems so yesterday. I think that's just the the muscle that creatives have to like constantly build just to be able to move on to the next challenge. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. I guess let's talk about young minds. I mean, I think that that's something that we're trying to be much more proactive in. And so maybe you could just talk a little bit about what the way you think about inspiring young minds towards a creative career or a career to music or storytelling in general. Um, what are your thoughts there? It's something I'm thinking about a lot right now. Um, it's so any thoughts I have are just like baby thoughts because we're literally <laughs> think we're having huge amounts of conversations about like just how to like what does it mean to be a mentor to be to train you know to like I I got dragged in I mean I fell into this industry through a side door you know one day I'm volunteering at a community radio station, I get hooked. And then from that point to the beginning of Radio Lab, and then five, six years even in, nobody was like hanging out, telling me anything, you know, I, I sort of fumbled my way through the dark, like there was no infrastructure. And I that was great for me, like, because I could, I could slowly 
figure things out. Um, these days with podcasting being where it is, um, it's just like, there's just a lot of people coming in, but there still isn't that infrastructure of training. Like, how do you be a producer? How do you work with audio? How do you tell a story? What does it mean to be an editor? Like these words that we use that no one actually can define. Um, And so, you know, at at Radiolab, we are having a lot of conversations about um, trying to be like super hyper articulate about our own process. Um, What's a story? Like, what story do we like? Okay, like what are the ingredients? Well, there aren't really ingredients, but okay. What are the like variables that exist in different proportions for a story? So we, we, we made a list of eight and, and I'm actually building an app that has eight dials on it and that we, <laughs> a producer can take an idea and be like, hmm, let me evaluate this idea and they can turn the dials to see like what, what is the, the, the creative score of this idea. Like, so we're doing stuff like that. Uh, uh, just like trying to figure out tools that can help us be a little bit more communicative about how we work. I think one of the big things that the, um, the last 18 months has really like conversations that have brought it, it's brought out when we talk about um, inclusivity, right. Mm-hmm. Is, I mean, that, that is, that's a conversation that goes to 12 places at once, but one of the like smaller places it goes to is like no shorthands right? Like sometimes bias exists that you, in the places where you have shorthands between people who are like you and you're like, ah, you know, ACDC, (laughs) you know, and it's like, you you just have this like shared cultural vocabulary that not everybody has. Right. Right. So we've tried to really just take that out and be like, no, let's actually not do that. Let's like, let's be really hyper, hyper um, specific about what we do. Let's make PowerPoints. I never thought my job would be to make PowerPoints, but that's what I do a lot of the time now. I make decks yeah. all day long. It's all day same, long. It's, just It's the same you know. thing. It's the same process of just like scrutinizing the process to the nth degree to really understand how it works. And it's different every time, but yeah. it's not yeah. at the same time. You know, maybe totally. think of it like a framework or something you could call it where it's like a, it's a kit of parts that if you put them together in a creative way, you can make yeah. something, you know? Yeah, totally. So we're, I mean, I have, I have been like just having bubbling up this, this idea of like forming a, a really informal institute in some way. Uh, And maybe it's just inside my team or maybe it's inside the station where I work or maybe it's bigger. I don't know, but like trying to sort of codify all the stuff and not just the way we do it, but the way that the, that show does it or a way that this American life does it or the way that you do it if you're doing a true crime thing or, all those comedian podcasts, like how do they do it? Like just trying to codify the, the practices of everybody and teach it, you know? Like that actually feels like the um, one of the next steps for me, um, you know, because I've, I've been doing Radio Lab for almost 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it feels to me like a moment to step back from it or to step to the side from it and to help understand like what is it? What is it, you know? Like I've never actually gotten good at at, at explaining it to people, <laughs> which feels, I mean, like. I can't explain what we do either. It's just, a, I think it's a, it's a mark that you're doing something right. You know, it's like you can't yeah. put a, a label on it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, 
I love that you asked that question. I, I, I wish I had a better answer, but I know in six months from now and in, in a year from now, I will. Because yeah, it, it I think feels like the work. The, yeah. the overarching theme that we feel here is let's do something. It's like to start and start, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect, but you just need to break down the practice, break down. I love that breaking down the, the shorthand. It's like, you know, thunderstruck. You don't really, you know, it's, yeah. it doesn't need to be that way. You can be very honest and, and open about everything. Totally. So, you know, let's, let's talk about the last year. I mean, I think now that it's, it's been just, you know, crazy, but mm -hmm. now that things are starting, starting to slowly open up and we're starting to reconnect and we're starting to see each other more, what, what stories are you most excited about telling in, with, you know, with that angle? Like what, what it's kind of like re-entry. What does that feel like from a storytelling yeah. perspective? Um, that is a really Really good question. And, and uh, the short of it is I'm not sure, you know, I mean, we're in this really interesting space right now where it does feel like things are opening up, but there's also a lot of people saying we're in the middle of a fourth wave. Mm -hmm. So you're not sure. Um, literally like from moment to moment through the day, I find myself oscillating between optimism and pessimism. So it's like the pessimistic moments, I think, it's really important to recommit to science reporting. Like, like the way that the world has convulsed in the last year has made it clear to me that like, you know, radio lab began in many ways as a science show and it's expanded out. And I actually feel like called to do more science again for the first time. I was the one who really drove us away from science, but now I'm feeling like, Oh, you know, it feels like public service and it's just freaking interesting. And it's crucial. The stakes have never been higher. Um, it's like a return so to fact and knowledge, you know, just like returning to that place where information yeah. is important. Yeah, absolutely. And returning to that, that like method of questioning what you know, right? Having ideas, but then looking at what the data says, like just getting back to that. That feels like me in my most pessimistic moments. I mean, it's not just in my most practical moments. That's where I'm, that's where I go. Uh, and so, you know, during the pandemic, we, we shifted our entire format and we started doing these things called dispatches, which were like really quick hitting, almost news reports. Um, you know, we're the show where we make these like two year long kind of Fabergé eggs, you know, where you just like every little thing. And it felt really good to just throw that out the window for a bit and just do, you just like not, don't belabor it, don't sweat it, just get it out. Part of me doesn't want to let that go. You know, like I, I want to keep doing that. I don't feel like we're out of the woods. And I also just kind of feel like we're in this fluid state as a country where I have no idea what next Monday is going to bring. So like, let's just be ready to respond. But then part of me is in my more expansive moments, I think I've been, I've been, I've been having this, this is going to sound kind of fruity and not specific, but I've been having this thought that like there is a middle ground between pure music and very like wordy storytelling. There's mm -hmm. some medium space, which is about helping people hear music in a new way. Um, and so I, my, I keep kind of finding myself leaning in that direction. Um, and so there's a, a I only mention that to say that there's a part of me that, that wants to do hard science, which is a very wordy endeavor. And then there's a part of me that wants to do weird, esoteric music, 
documentaries, right. but they're not not documentaries in that VH1 sense, but documentaries in the sense of like living inside the music in some new way. It's interesting because you talk about like this tension between the two, the story and the music creating this this visual kind of space. And and what's interesting you now is this idea of go like pulling that apart a little bit and mm -hmm. focusing on each one as an isolated uh method methodology of storytelling which is very interesting yeah i also find myself um and maybe it's just because i've been doing narrative journalism for as long as i have i find myself getting frustrated with story forms mm. not that i've mastered them in any way well you broke them <laughs> well yeah it's like you, you spend a lot of time trying to break them but also i i keep i mean you know so much of our attention this last year is about systems right yeah Systems are not systems. It's all we like literally every other job is a systems job now for us. Right. But systems are not stories by definition, right? Systems exist as networks. They exist as constellations. They don't exist as linear experiences. And there's a part of me that feels like systems are, um, that's how life actually is, right? Life and, and life for, forget if it's even a system, life is a splatter of events. And then as storytellers, we take the splatter and we organize it into some kind of coherent beginning, middle, and end. Springs, yeah. And sometimes I get frustrated with that. I feel the distortion of that process. I feel like, oh, I, I really want to be able to evoke the just splatter of stuff, mm. but still have it be entertaining enough that you want to sit there and listen to it. And so, I don't know, like maybe part of my grappling for music forms is an attempt to be freed from the the tyranny of time-based narratives in some way. I don't know. That sounds, sounds so like pretentious to say. In, but, no, you know. it just sounds, <laughs> it sounds like you're interested in, you know, the way you've told stories over time, you're really painting half the picture or three quarters of the picture to let people fill in. It mm -hmm. sounds like you want to paint less of the picture and let them fill in more, which really right. takes more, you know, it's, a, it's more of a curatorial approach to narrative, uh, but I think that you're leaving more into the audience to really use their minds and their knowledge and their experiences to start to, to do the, the, the drawing of those lines that you've commonly done before. It's really interesting. Yeah, completely. I mean, I keep having this like recurring daydream of like doing an installation where you're in a room full of a thousand boxes and they're each mm -hmm. about this big. And, and you open each box and you hear a sound, right? <laughs> and so can you imagine just wandering through this like catacomb of the boxes and you can open different boxes of different configurations and you can make your own story or your mm -hmm. own composition from that. I don't know, something about that that feels really exciting to me, like where you just create the system and somebody else engages with it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't know, I think about that a lot. I don't know where that thought will lead me, but that that keeps coming up for me. Have you ever thought about like, sonic branding and and what that would ever sound like for a radio lab like is i mean it kind of already is sonic branding but if you ever you know just thinking about like you know the vivid spaces you're creating and the voices the music is there like a component of that that you've ever considered oh yeah i mean i uh, actually somebody approached me about doing the sonic branding for their um their app and even though I have no time to do it, I said yes, because I actually love, I love that kind of work. Um, it's some, uh, 
it's it's in that weird middle space between language and music in a way mm-hmm. you're looking for sounds that are like evocative in the way that words create pictures in your mind but these sounds are somehow more expansive so they kind of have the vibration of music but they also like mean something right yeah there's a feedback yeah, yeah i love that space like i feel like all the sound design i do for radio lab exists in that space between words and music mm-hmm. um it's it's like editorially it's editorial in some way but it's also not it's it gives you that music feeling but mm-hmm. it's telling you something you know totally. um and so yeah i would lo- i I, th- I think about that a lot i mean i think about one of my favorite moments of radio lab was creating the sonic id for the show totally. uh, which at this point is like oh god 12 13 years old and um i made 20 of them in one night because and it came from a very simple thing like i was trying to avoid having a theme song for the show i mean i hate theme songs to this day you know like e- even game of thrones one of the great theme songs in modern memory. I hate it. It's like, I have to sit through two and a half minutes of this to get to this thing. So there's like now the whole skip the intro thing, you know, and it's like, why give people the choice? Don't have it. Just like, you know, just, just. I like to put it at the end thing. That's the better one. I think it's way cooler that way. Cause you kind of want to just marinate in the experience at Mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. So anyhow, I didn't want to have a theme song for the show and, but I wanted it. But theme songs are good because they define the sh- they define the experience, and you need something. So I, I I sat there and I made like I took all these glitchy sounds and I took all these like people saying the name of the show and I was like time stretching all the vocals and like flipping them in reverse and doing all these weird things to them and just to kind of create like a little like and it's done right. Mm-hmm. And I made twenty of them in one night and. Um, and about three of them actually ended up being good and the rest of them were garbage. And we still use those to this day, you know? Mm-hmm. It just like somehow defines the space. Um, and I loved, I loved that process that, that in a six seconds you could have a bit of sound that just tells you something about the world, you know? That's I, I such a cool they, thing. They, they, they put a lens on, they're like, okay, I'm entering this space and this space mm-hmm. is gonna be chopped up and snipped up in a sonic exploration. and it sort of prepares you without mm-hmm. overdoing it. And I, I think that that's like something we try to do all the time too. You just want to like almost frame, even like the way we pitch work, you know, you kind of want to put the glasses on the client or the the audience, whoever you're speaking to with just the context of like, I want you to look at it through this lens. And I think that's a great way to think yeah. of that part of the process. Yeah. And it, um, you know, sound, sound being so visceral you know it's like it's such a physical relationship we have to to uh to those yeah so it's like it's it, it's a, it's a it's a lens but it also like it's it's a it's it's a, like a violent lens in some way you know totally. I, I that's what it keeps me in audio because i actually like i'm a huge huge tv film nerd i think mm-hmm. i consume a lot more of that stuff than i do podcasts but I love making stuff because when it works, you're like, you're hitting somebody, you know, not in a, not in a manipulative way, but you're connecting with them physically, you know? When you're, you know, I've seen some visual work that you have explored and a lot of it plays into stop motion. Is that something that you, that you really connect with? Is that something you, you love? Is that like a style that really resonates with you or is that just sort of, how it's played out like well when you're thinking about stuff visually or you're thinking about 
animation. Mm. Um, is that what comes to mind? Is that the, the method of choice? I don't know. I mean, every time I've played with visuals, it's been, um, it's been on a like shoestring and, uh, and it's been under like no time, no money, basically. Um, I do remember seeing your offices and I was like, whoa, like they just like seeing the way it's, it could be done at, at a high level. Uh, so, and I, I usually, it's like me calling some student animator and being like, Hey, can you help me with this thing? I need, I need fireflies blinking. And then they'll, they'll like make it. Um, but no, I mean, I, it's funny. I, uh, typically what I imagine are, I don't know when it was the, um, it, this is, you, you would probably know the name for this, but that thing that happens, you know, there was the sort of like the Ken Burnsian thing where it's like, uh, a photograph moving mm -hmm. and we've all seen that a million times mm -hmm. um but there was a like a moment where people started like dimensionalizing the photograph where they would they would divorce the foreground from the background and they would yep. have different colors existing in dimensions um whatever that's called that's for me how i imagine the pictures and the stories i'm making mm -hmm. they always it's exist like as you know it's a method called parallax where you can separate the foreground and background you can move them at different speeds yeah to get that that three-dimensional kind of offset i whatever that i love that like that's how it like that felt to me like the purest capturing of like how i actually see these things like you're in these moments that, that aren't necessarily moving but they are they are there's a there's a depth of field yeah there's, that you can there's walk depth. into they're frozen but there's depth and you can move and move around yeah and see around things yeah Great. That's a yeah, because it's like when when I'm making the sound for these pictures, you have the picture that you're trying to like evoke, but the sound creates that 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 uh, topography behind and forward and all that. Hmm. So that that to me is like what I if if I could make that, I would I would make that for cool. for and I wouldn't be doing podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, I think uh, you want to go into a lightning round. Sure. Let's yeah. Do what does that mean? Sort of fast questions, fast answers. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. Sound good. So, like, just top of mind. Top of mind. All right. Maybe let's embellish on this first one. This before we get started. Okay. First instrument. Piano. Then trombone. What was the one that that you connected with? First instrument. Yeah. All right. Well, truth truth is, um, this isn't really first, but it's the connected with, yeah. uh, I remember when I was eight ish, uh, I went to a garage sale in Nashville and somebody was getting rid of their electric guitar mm -hmm. and it was, uh, an electric guitar that had no strings and the pickup had fallen off and they had just put it out and I convinced my dad to buy it for me for $2. And it was the same color as Eddie Van Halen's guitar at that point that he played eruption on. And I was a huge Van Halen fan. Um, and I just remember like that guitar, I can remember the feel of that guitar and how good it felt. And I was like, and, and I took a bunch of pictures of me leaping off the bed and trying to do the like Eddie Van Halen thing. So like in my, that's the one I first connected with, but they made me play the piano. Mm -hmm. I hated it for a long time. Now I love it, but that was the first thing, um, instrument I actually understood. And, and that from from like a feeling or from an expression too? Like, were, were you able to express yourself through that first? The piano? Uh, the guitar. Just like that, that like, just that sense of like, 
that hair metal, like a glam arena rock sensibility that you just like everybody, every kid of the eighties has in their, in it, quietly in the back of their mind is that idea of like music poison move yeah. masses, poison, <laughs> uh, Def Leppard warrant, one of the most warrant Oh, Def Leppard. Oh my Def God. Leppard. One of the most underappreciated bands in American music, I would argue. Um, and uh yeah so that's that feeling you know like that that idea of like what music can do culturally just like and all viscerally but the first time i really understood like i mean, first time i felt like i could express myself through music was mm -hmm. um you know i took piano forever i took piano for like 10 years i know this we're not lightning round suddenly my no I no I, I, here? We're, we're, we're we broke it we're gonna start lightning round next okay, I okay. Think this is important because i think you know the way i'm equating it to our our work is the tools we learn there's we, we we think of ourselves as generalists universally at, at at Buck and we all learn a lot of different tools, but then mm -hmm. there's the tool that you find that that you can express yourself in that's like that you connect with and some that's a pen, some that's a mouse, some that's code, some that's yeah, yeah. you know, a color. Um, you know, so I think or some of it's sound or edit, mm -hmm. you know. So time is something that people can express in. So for me it's like again like getting to storytelling and the way you got there it happened and that's what you know i think when i think about tools and craft i think of that thing that um that you can that, that you can speak through like more than your more powerfully than your own voice almost yeah that's a great way to put it it's a great way to put it i mean i remember for me that moment came um you know i played piano for a long time and i'd always i loved the piano but i also felt very frustrated by the piano like i never actually felt like i loved the sound of it <laughs> it felt kind of bright and plunky and it wasn't really the sound i was ever like in my head uh but then i remember one of the first or second year of of music school at oberlin uh one of our tasks was to compose a song using old analog synthesizers and i remember there was this putney synth in the basement and this is one of those like 70 cents where there's no keyboard. It's just mm -hmm. all like, you know, patching like you right over there. It's a, it's very much like the original of that stuff. And uh, I just remember like patching these sounds and not really quite understanding what I was doing, but then it started making these noises. And I was like, Oh, that's, those are the noises I've been looking for. Like that, something in the gear felt like I could express myself through that. Um, I realized at that point I had gone to school for the wrong thing. Like I was learning to compose for orchestras and I really should have just been sitting with that Putney and just like hanging out with that thing, which now I do. Yeah, all the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I remember for me, it was like, it was this process of like learning the rudiments of scales and theory and chords and just getting your fingers so they work. But then ultimately leaving that instrument and transposing it into this other thing, you know, that's what's really cool about the tools is that they're always, there's like, there are families of tools. And so if you're good at one thing, you can move just a slight hair to one side or the other and that unlocks something. And that's what it was for me, you know? That's um, awesome. Yeah. All right. So now let's go into lightning round. You ready? Okay. All yeah. Right. Just finished reading. Just finished reading. Nothing. I haven't been reading. I haven't been reading. I haven't either. Oh dang! I did not. It's right, depressing. Just finished watching. Just finished watching uh, Legend of Korra, season mm -hmm. three, episode eight. 
or something. Servant, just finished watching Servant on uh, M. Night Shyamalan's thing. Um, Avatar, The Last Airbender. A lot of kid stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. The kids you know stuff. what I mean? Yeah. The kids are hooked on uh, Avengers. It's fascinating to watch. Hmm. Um, all right. Ableton or Logic? Oh, Ableton. Nice. A hundred ways. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what are you listening to on repeat? Um, what I'm listening to on repeat is Susie and the Banshees. Listening to a lot of uh, like cities, cities in in dust era. Susie and the Banshees, a lot of dub. Mm-hmm. I've been really going deep on like early dub. Uh, you know, sort of this, and then the space dub offshoots. Mm-hmm. So because you can just listen to that stuff for hours, and it just kind of I can listen a, to a, a space echo for days. It really, oh. comes down to. It's really like, um, it's really amazing. It's really cool to put a space echo, like the original tape ones, mm-hmm. um, and to just to let them feed back on themselves and they'll mm-hmm. walk out of the room and come back six hours later <laughs> and they're just like, <laughs> that is a beautiful phenomenon. Uh, this is a fun one from Thomas Schmid. Uh, what did your parents listen to growing up that you hated, but now you appreciate? Um Khaldum, Feirouz. These are both uh, Middle Eastern singers. Um, opera. My dad loved opera. Still does. Um, my mom, I have yet to really get get to an appreciation stage with this, but my mom was a huge Bob Dylan fan. Oh, so yeah. I struggle with Bob Dylan. I struggle with Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't get it. I feel like he sucks all the oxygen out of the room, and people give him the credit that they should be giving other people. I'm sure that's going to get me in a lot of trouble, but, like, it's true. I'm like... If I if I hear one more goddamn Bob Dylan appreciation, I'm like, take a minute and and give it to someone else. He's gotten enough already. Anyhow. Um yeah, mine mine's yacht rock. My parents loved yacht rock. <laughs> now I love it. My, Michael McDonald. Yeah. Um a story you are obsessed about right now. Flies. I'm really into flies. Really? Yeah, I don't. I can't say it's a story, but um, it's like the bees, like five years ago. Yeah, it's like the bees. Like, um, I it started for me when. Sorry, I'm. I'm. We're no longer lightning rounding. Should I just say flies right, and leave good. it? That's good. No, it's All good. right, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, we went down to, uh, <laughs> to, where was it? Was it Arkansas, where my wife's family uh, used to? There, there was sort of a compound there that they would all visit, and uh, we were hanging out in the creek, and I got really obsessed with the dragonflies, the way that they fly. They can just like zigzag up down like they have infinite movement. Hmm. I was like, how the hell? How the hell? Like a drone. Yeah, they're just like, and I was like, they can go in any direction at any moment. So that led me to look at flies, and there are two hundred thousand species of flies. And I was like, that is amazing. That's crazy. Only one species species of us, but this creature has made two hundred thousand different types. So I've been really, I've been reading a lot about flies recently. Cool. That's amazing. Um, what is your cure for writer's block? My cure for writer's block is, um, well, deadlines, A. Deadline will cure any block. Um, it, my cure is, I mean, writers say this all the time, and I believe it also, um, is to just do it, just to write like as, as a habit, to make it a habit and not to wait for inspiration, but just to do it every day. Some days it just won't be very good, but you 
you will get you will get there without the inspiration. You don't. Turns out you don't need the inspiration. You just kind of need to do it. You need more. the muscle memory. Yeah. You need the muscle memory. Um, the other thing that I do, uh, which is more specific to my work, is um, so I I compose music and I also write and make stories, and I've divided that process separately so that on certain days I'll just do music and I'll mm. make sounds, and I won't even worry about where they're going. And then on other days, I just focus in and it's more about the story. And then I'll grab the sounds I made and put them into the story. But I deliberately separate those two so that... So it's not like you're scoring necessarily. You're kind of curating at that point. Yeah, it's a little bit more of a curate. Because, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the score is just tension tones, mood, mm. mood, minute, like just little bits. And you just want a sound that's kind of cool and little like... It's evocative and to make that sound on demand is almost impossible. So right. I separated it out and that's been a huge help for me. Awesome. Uh, first synthesizer. Uh, the Juno 60, mm. the Roland. Yeah. And then I had a, six. yeah, it's a pretty, it's still a pretty badass. I actually went and bought, bought the one. I, I, I sold it like an idiot. And then got like a Yamaha D something 10, not even the cool DX7, but the one after that, that really mm -hmm. sucks. Yeah. Uh, and I, I recently went and bought that original Juno, not the specific Juno, but um, one of the, one of the originals. Awesome. Um, favorite filter. Oh, Get man. musical here. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I like the Moog filter, the ladder filters. Ladder. Uh, yeah. It's a, I like that. There's something kind of meaty and grimy about their like, I don't know what it is. I, I'm going to say a thing. It's probably wrong, but like there's something in the like 100 to 200 Hertz kind of zone mm -hmm. that just kind of gets growl. like, kind of yeah. growly. Yeah. I, I, I love those. Um, I really like, you know, it's funny. I, I really like the sound toys plugins. Mm. These are audio plugins. There's something about their filters that I really dig. You just bump up the res a little bit on the, and then just roll the frequency around. It just, it, it sounds super musical. So I use those in terms of digital. Ones a I'm, lot. A, I'm a low pass gate guy all the way. I take yeah, more totally. of like a West coast. So I love myself a low pass and a DCA. Nice. Gotta say. I feel all like right. a low pass is one of the greatest inventions. It's like, <laughs> it really is. I know. It it's really like, is. you know, wind, you just take some noise through the low pass. You've got yourself wind. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Finally, what are you optimistic about? Oh man, what am I optimistic about? I'm optimistic about. I don't know. I, I'm optimistic. The what am I optimistic about? I'm optimistic about the possibilities inherent in really simple acts of creativity. You know. There's so much work to do on so many levels. Um, but there is also the simple magic of like when you get two bits of tape together or maybe in your world when you sort of get the right composition of colors or it, there's, there's something in those simple acts that feels like it, it tells me everything I need to know about human possibility. <laughs> um, and so if we're just creative and we continue to to commit ourselves to the simple acts of creativity then i i, I can't help but be optimistic because anytime i felt depressed which is a lot of the time 
these days. I mean, all of us, I think, are struggling with that. I always find the solution in just making something, you know? Yeah, the making of it. Yeah, I think, like, I look at it, just what you just said about, you know, it's acts of kindness as a way to do it. But I love this idea of acts of creativity because I think it's it involves a level of curiosity and compassion and mm-hmm. that you you care that someone else appreciates it. Yeah. Um, and that's an act of kindness in and of itself. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I subscribe to that. Awesome. Well, yeah, this has been awesome. I could do this forever. Um, luckily we do get to do it quite often, uh, at drop off. Yeah. But, um, and I would be doing my whole company the service by not saying that we would love to collaborate on something in the future. So, uh, Oh man, that would make me so happy. Let's do it. Let's, let's make that it. happen. Let's finally do it. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in again, Jad Abumrad. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, until next time, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Banter. And thanks to our guest, Jad Abumrad, and this week's host, Ben Langsville. Thanks also to Ant Food, who created our original music. Check them out at antfood.com. Banter is produced by Buck a global creative company that brings brands, stories, and experiences to life through art, design, and technology. Learn more at buck.co.